Jesus plus nothing. 100% natural, no additives. Andrew Farley is celebrating your freedom in Christ. Call in and ask your questions at 877-956-9566. That's toll free at 877-956-9566. Via satellite from Texas, it's The Grace Message with Dr. Andrew Farley. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Grace Message. I'm Andrew Farley. So glad you're joining us today, this Sunday afternoon, Super Bowl Sunday. I hope you'll enjoy it this evening if you're into that kind of thing. But right now, we're asking questions about the Bible. Maybe you have something you heard in church uh, this morning. You're not sure about it. You want to talk it over? Let's make it a conversation together right now. 877-956-9566. We are live across the United States and Canada And we've got three open lines remaining right at this very moment. So it's a great Sunday to get in. Everybody's out. uh, Well, they're getting all of their goodies for tonight. They're buying that chips and salsa, getting those hamburgers and hot dogs ready. And so this is your opportunity to sneak in and uh, have a conversation with us right now. Join us, 877-956-9566. And if you're a first-time caller today, you got to know we love it. We love to hear from our first-time callers. We'd love to hear from you. If you're a veteran caller, maybe you've joined us another Sunday afternoon recently, doesn't matter. Give us a call right now. Be a part of the conversation, 877-956-9566. Maybe you've got a personal issue going on in your life right now, in your marriage, uh, with your kids, in your church. You're looking for that uh, grace message perspective. Well, that's exactly why we're here. Toll free across the United States and Canada. Three open lines, room for you right now. And if you're live streaming with us uh, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, you're welcome to call in and be a part of today's conversation as well. We've got room for you. Time on the clock. We're just getting started. So join us right now. I'll give you the number one more time, 877-956-9566. Well, remember that uh, this month we're giving away to each and every donor our new series, and it's called Exposed, uh, Distinguishing Spiritual Truth from Religious Lies. We're excited about this because, oh my goodness, the church is filled with lies today, some that we don't detect right away. It takes a little while for us to realize what's actually being taught. I mean, what about the lie that you can lose your salvation? What about the lie that you're being forgiven progressively, little by little, as you ask for it? What about the lie that you need to find God's will and then try to stay in it? What about the lie that you'll be answering for every idle word at that final judgment? All kinds of lies that we need to confront and dispel with the truth that sets us free. That's why I'm excited. This month, we're giving away to each and every supporter of the Grace Message. We're giving you our new resource, Exposed, Distinguishing Spiritual Truth from Religious Lies. You can find out more at our website at andrewfarley.org. 
Again, that's andrewfarley.org. And remember to request your copy when you support the Grace Message this month. All right, well, we're going to jump out to Indiana for our first call of the afternoon, and we'll talk with Bill. Hey, Bill, what do you got for us? Uh, thanks for taking my call, Pastor. There, there are three things real, real quick. First, I had called you a few weeks ago about prayer, and I just wanted to tell you that when I, I pray that God will help me to forgive others in the same way that he forgives me yeah. was the first point. The second thing is when I considered for years the thorn in Paul Paul's side, and he writes that it was a sent by uh, the evil one to torment him, and I, I considered if maybe that could have been some kind of a temptation or a sin that he struggled with. And the third thing was when, when the Spirit of God came on Saul yeah. and he began prophesying, what exactly do, do they, when they say they were prophesying, what are they saying, literally, what are they saying? Okay, and you're talking about Saul of Tarsus or Saul, King Saul in Saul, the Old Testament? Saul, King, the first King, King, King of Israel. All right, all right. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thanks for your questions today. Great questions. Wow, you got quite a variety of questions there. And uh, so we're going to uh, talk all about it. I mean, first, you got this thorn in the flesh, and there's some mystery surrounding that. Uh, we're talking here about Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. He's got a thorn in the flesh. He says, uh, Jesus, take it from me. Lord, take it from me. Three times. Uh, and, uh, you know, people have, well, they've been debating that for ever since it was written. They've been debating, is it a particular sin struggle? Is it a demon? Uh, did it relate to his blindness? Uh, was it an annoying friend an annoy or an annoying opponent who, you know, who ran around screaming about him all the time and getting him in trouble? Uh, so, uh, you know, you got uh, lots of different theories, but I think we have to obviously look at the context where Paul is saying it made him weak. It made him weak. So that seems to be referring to physical weakness. So it was a frailty. Uh, it was a, a weakness. It was something uh, that, uh, that caused him to be more and more dependent uh, upon God in, in that moment. I mean, you just uh, you have to uh, uh, look at the context and really the surrounding words. This this messenger of Satan to buffet me. It says, uh, and so there's something there that is spiritual in nature. It has a spiritual source, and it's causing him physical weakness. Uh, so you can see why the theories are rampant. I mean, the theories are things like uh, the messenger from Satan is an opponent who hates the gospel and is running around trying to get Paul in trouble uh, with the law, trying to get Paul thrown in jail repetitively, uh, trying to get Paul uh, to uh, be targeted even by his own Jewish contemporaries as being anti-Moses anti-law, a law hater, a Moses hater, a heretic. So that's one theory, uh, a messenger from Satan who just tires Paul out uh, as Paul is continually being uh, abused by this messenger. Now, the second thing people will float 
uh, by you is that uh, this is Paul's eyesight, that it's a physical problem uh, and that he has to struggle with this frailty, this inability to see, even as he's a traveling messenger of the gospel. Uh, So, uh, you know, then then you got all kinds of other things. I mean, people say, well, maybe it was a lust problem. You know, Paul was uh, single. So, uh, you know, it's it goes on and on. And uh, at the end of the day, I think you just have to say, well, what's the takeaway? If I can't identify the thorn in the flesh, then uh, what is the takeaway? Uh, well, the takeaway is that in the midst of whatever it is, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So the takeaway is being dependent on the power of Jesus and his spirit living in you no matter what you're going through. Is it a physical frailty? Is it an attack of the enemy? Is it someone opposing you and causing you great grief and turmoil in this life? Uh, What is it? Well, it doesn't matter what that thorn is. What matters is the dependency on Christ. Uh, that's what matters most. So, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot to swallow, but we have planet Earth coming at us, and we have the power of Christ working in us, and never the two shall meet. They're not the same thing, that is. Uh, we've got stress and circumstances and rejection and persecution and physical ailments. And then we've got the power of the resurrected Christ inside of us, empowering us and inspiring us from within. No matter what comes at us, Christ is working in us. And I think that's the big picture uh, for Uh, what uh, Paul's really trying to teach us about this thorn. We don't have to know what it is, but we do know Paul's solution to it. I will glory in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ rests upon me. All right, so now we're going to switch from Saul to Saul, from Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament to your other question about the Old Testament and King Saul. So we've got King Saul, and he Uh, Before he becomes uh, disobedient to God, at least, he experiences a very unique uh, encounter with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul, and he prophesied alongside a group of prophets. You can see this in chapter 10, uh, right around verse 10 of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 10.10 and following, uh, it seems to be that it was basically God's way of saying, Uh, this is a sign, or this is confirmation, or this is a symbol uh, that I'm at work in Saul's life. So it was confirming Saul's anointing as king over Israel. Uh, But, uh, you know, you, you just fast forward to his later life, And in his later life, you see all kinds of uh, actions of disobedience. You see King Saul's downfall uh, clearly in the future. And then, of course, you've got the selection of David, which occurs in 1 Samuel as well. Uh, About five chapters later, in chapter 15, you start to see David coming into the picture as Israel's next prominent leader, the king of Israel, David himself. So uh, even though you had Saul 
you know, sort of consecrated or dedicated and committed and uh, shown to be through this anointing, shown to be king of Israel. It didn't take but five chapters for things to go south. And then you've got David as the replacement. Uh, So, you know, we don't know about all the details of that prophecy, but the bottom line is God was just sort of publicly showing Saul as Israel's leader, and uh, that's why the prophecy took place. So I hope that helps, gives you something to think about, about Saul in the New Testament and also King Saul in the Old Testament. Bill, thanks for your questions, and uh, reach out to us again anytime. All right, well, let's go now uh, to Maryland. We're going to get a brief praise report uh, from Jeanette. Hi, Jeanette. What do you got for us today? Hello. Love and blessings to you. Love and blessings to all of God's people. Um, My praise report is that tomorrow I will begin a new position, which I prayed for a very long time, prayed for it consistently, and thanking God, thanking Christ for their faithfulness for their goodness, for providing, for being the most high, the excellent. And I just want to encourage everyone to continue to grow stronger in Christ all of the time. There's a lot of spiritual warfare against God's people, but we have to continue on every day doing the things that pertain to God and Christ, and that is praying, reading the Word, encouraging one another, and also encouraging ourselves. And I also just wanted to share a brief scripture. Yeah. That can that can provide us further further encouragement. So this is Isaiah forty one, eleven to thirteen. Once more, that's Isaiah forty one, eleven to thirteen. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jeanette. Appreciate that encouraging word. Uh, Congratulations on your new position. I know what it's like to pray for something for a long time, uh, sometimes months and years, even decades, and then uh, to see something happen and to be able to thank God for that. So uh, we're rejoicing with you, my friend. And uh, thanks for the passage from Isaiah as well. You talked about spiritual warfare, and uh, nothing can prosper against us if we're in Christ. We have this armor of God, which is really Jesus. Folks, if you've never understood the armor of God, it's Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness is our righteousness in Christ. The helmet of salvation is our salvation in Jesus. The belt of truth has to do with the truth about Jesus. The feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So every ounce of this armor and this protection that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 is really about putting on Christ, putting on Jesus. And so even though we read a passage like Isaiah from the Old Testament where God is promising, you know, a defense and a, a victory, uh, that sometimes, you know, Israel's interpreting that, and rightly so, to be a physical victory, a military victory. Well, today we can look at the faithfulness of God 
and say that uh, he brings us spiritual victory over the enemy uh, when we're attacked, when you have that accusation against you, it hits your head, you know, that accusation that you're disqualified, that you're dirty, that you're distant, that you're no good. Well, the truth is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So you can take the gospel and apply it to your situation, and it becomes the helmet of salvation. Uh, The helmet of salvation is God's way of saying, you're saved, so don't buy the lie. You're saved. And when the enemy says you're not saved, remember the truth, because the truth will always, always liberate you in the gospel. And uh, so, Jeanette, thanks for your encouragement and congratulations. We're celebrating with you uh, and uh, you have a wonderful afternoon, my friend. All right. Well, let's go now to uh, Virginia and we'll talk with Lucy. Hey, Lucy, what do you got for us today? So good afternoon, Pastor Mike. Uh, and I am excited to um, to meet you. I have uh, two questions or two points. One, yeah. um, before before COVID, I was um, a regular church attender and giver, and then COVID happened. And, and during that time period, I did find the grace message, thank God, because it really helped me do that. But post-COVID, I have no desire to return to the building. I... Um, I feel like um, I need to, I, I do go to church, I guess, online on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. um, and I do uh, fellowship with Christians, and I've attended several Bible studies, but no desire to be back in the structure of the building. And I just wanted to know your thoughts about that. And then the second thing that I have is I need prayer for a family. Um, our family has multiple issues, deaths, and uh, some mental health. I have a nephew who is uh, struggling with addiction. He has eight daughters, one of which passed away um, when she was 10 from brain cancer with his wife. And so he's just struggling with that death. And also with being a father and, and a husband. And so I, I request prayer for for his situation. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, first of all, I want you to know you're free, Lucy. God doesn't have you in a box saying, now, Lucy, you got to be in church Sunday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. or 11 or 9.30 or whatever. you got to be in Sunday school. you got to be in church. It's got to be Sunday. It's got to be Sunday morning. It's got to be for an hour at least, two hours if you're extra blessed. No, no, no. I mean, everything you've described, uh, first of all, you're listening to truth online. Second of all, you're gathering together with other believers to be encouraged mutually in Christ at a Bible study or two. It sounds like you got you got a lot of things going on there, whether it's uh, online or in person. Uh, you are not withdrawing from the message and you're not withdrawing from the body of Christ You are instead just calling into question, do I have to be in this location, in this building at this time for it to be uh, spiritual or something? And the answer is no, 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 no. You are free. And wherever two or more are gathered there, Jesus is with you. So we gotta we gotta stop this. It's a it's a it's a group. It's a it's a message that a group of thoughts that have just permeated the Bible Belt. 
everybody's apologizing to the pastor when they see him in the grocery store. Sorry, I sorry I missed a service. And we got a Sunday morning mentality as if we're supposed to be earning points at that time. Uh, the reality is you're free to gather with other believers any day of the week in any location, whether it's a home Bible study or a church building or a park bench or a uh, a coffee shop or whatever, whenever you're gathering together with other believers, Jesus is with you and in you. And so, uh, you know, that's that's the big deal. Uh, that's what it's really about. And so I think you just recognize your liberty there. The Bible talks about gathering together, uh, but it doesn't mean you have to sit in a church pew with 5,000 other people. It just means gather together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and let's all point each other to Jesus and encourage each other. So freedom, that's the name of the game here. You're in Christ, and there's no one set way to do it, Lucy. Uh, Secondly, you know, you, you wanted prayer. I want you to know I will be praying uh, for your family. In fact, I'll take a moment right now and just say, Father, we we love Lucy. We thank you for her call today. We just ask that you would minister to her family in the midst of addiction and grief over loss and all kinds of struggles uh, for the the father and the husband and uh, for the health issues, even mental health issues as well, Father. We ask that uh, you would bring the help they need and that your presence would be known and that you would give Lucy and her family wisdom as they navigate these difficult circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Lucy, thank you for trusting us with your call, your question, and your prayer request today. And uh, please call us back there in Virginia. Speaking of Virginia, you may or may not know, Lucy, so my brother is a pastor in Virginia in Warrenton, Virginia, and he pastors at uh, the Way Bible Church, the Way Bible Church in Warrenton, Virginia. So you can look that up, Google it, find it, check it out, the Way Bible Church in Warrenton, Virginia. That's a church that is truly proclaiming the grace of God, Uh, and that may be, you know, I don't know if it's 20 minutes or 40 minutes from you. It may be a place you want to visit sometime. You might make a friend or two. Uh, but again, I just want to stress, wow, no matter what you decide, it's all about being the church. Wherever you are, whomever you're with, uh, it's about being the church. We are in Christ 24-7 without interruption, and it's our privilege uh, to encourage each other. And that's what church is really all about, no matter where we are. Thanks again for your call. Reach out anytime. All right, let's go now to New Jersey, and we'll talk with Paul. Hey, Paul, what do you got for us today? Hi, hi, Pastor. Hey. I'm interested in someone who is born again and then kills himself. What happens to that person? All right, well, the same thing that happens to you and me and every Christian. So every Christian has their sins forgiven. If you're in Christ, you're a forgiven person. If you're in Christ, you're as righteous as Jesus because God made you that way. He calls you the righteousness of God. If you're in Christ, you're holy, righteous, blameless, forgiven, cleansed, and heaven-bound. In fact, you're already seated 
in heavenly places. Now, let's pretend I get depressed and then I die by suicide. Does any of the gospel change? Nope, I'm still forgiven, cleansed, righteous, holy, blameless, a child of God with no condemnation. Well, uh, what if I die some other way? Same thing, forgiven, righteous, holy, blameless. So anyone that's telling you that suicide somehow changes things, uh, they don't have a clue about the gospel. Jesus didn't say, I die for some of your sins except for suicide. Jesus didn't say, I've taken away all of your sins unless you get really depressed. Jesus didn't say, your sins are gone, remembered no more unless you kill yourself. No, Jesus didn't say any of those things, and the New Testament never distinguishes suicide as some sort of exception. There is no exception. If you're in Christ, you are a totally forgiven person. Now, if someone's considering suicide, they have bigger problems than just their final destiny. They really need to nail down why they're thinking the way they're thinking and uh, looking for purpose and meaning in this life, which they seem to have lost. And so at the end of the day, it's not just about some final destination. I mean, folks, what we have in the gospel is the answer to every human problem. What we have in the gospel is not just some place to live someday. Uh, We have a way for everything we do to be meaningful. That's right. Everything you do is meaningful. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're an expression of God. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. You can exude the fruit of the Spirit, and everything you do has meaning. So our church life, I think, uh, worldwide, you talk about the church, we've really warped things. We've warped things over the years when we've tried to limit or constrict what God is doing. Uh, We talk about how your life has to have meaning, so make sure you're evangelizing. Your life has to have meaning, so make sure you take a missions trip. Your life has to have meaning, so make sure you're in a small group. Your life has to have meaning, so make sure you're, you know, attending church or volunteering or doing service work. While some of these things can be great and fine and wonderful, Uh, The reality is everything you do is spiritual. So we kind of need to blow up our view of what is spiritual and recognize that we are a walking expression of Jesus no matter where we go and what we do. And when you blow up that view of spirituality that you are an expression of Christ anywhere and everywhere— then suddenly your, your, your life has meaning and value and purpose, not because you changed your job or changed your geography or, you know, signed up for a service project, but because you are now, your body is the temple of God, and you are now, with every smile and handshake and pat on the back and hug and every kind word and expression, you are a beautiful transmission of the life of Jesus today. The resurrection life of Christ is in you. Uh, And so that just brings esteem and respect and worth and value to every move you make. 
And that's really the truth of the gospel. That's what the enemy doesn't want us to know. The enemy wants us to be obsessed with trying to change our circumstances. And Jesus wants us to know that he is our life in every circumstance. So thanks for your call today, Paul. Uh, reach out to us again anytime. Great to hear from you. You're listening to The Grace Message. I'm Andrew Farley. If you want to dive a little deeper, well, we invite you to go to our website at andrewfarley.org. Right there at andrewfarley.org, you're going to find thousands of free resources to encourage you in the love and forgiveness and grace of God. Wondering about suicide? just like our last caller, or perhaps you're wondering what it means to have a new identity in Christ, or what about water baptism? Is that really what saves? Uh, what about uh, the the idea of having to ask for forgiveness for every sin, or what about living under the law versus living under grace? How does all that work out in practicality? If these are questions that sometimes plague you or concern you, we invite you to go to our website and dive deeper into the gospel like never before. You can find out more right there at andrewfarley.org where every resource is free and you can simply choose among the thousands of free videos, long and short videos to encourage you in the grace of God. All right, well, let's go out now to Missouri, and we'll talk with Brad. Hey, Brad, what do you got for us today, my friend? Pastor, I am so excited just listening to Lucy and Paul and everybody that calls in, and I can't uh, encourage them any more than you do. Uh, this wasn't exactly why I called in, but I, will, I, I just praise God for the Grace Message family and— uh, mm the encouragement and the growing in Jesus Christ and knowing him is blossoming in my life. I'm not bragging about it, but it is a benefit of getting to know Jesus. And my main uh, question that I called in about, um, you know, I think you've mentioned this and I've, uh, I know I'm going to be encountering some of these uh, people today, uh, when I go to my son's house, they're, Cal they're in Calvinist churches and really staunch, mm -hmm. hard Calvinists mm -hmm. and believing in the fact that God chose them. And I pose the question to them that you do, uh, how do you know for certain that God chose you? And they say, oh, well, I have the Holy Spirit. I said, that doesn't say a thing. I said, I'm a believer, and I have the Holy Spirit, and I'm not, I don't believe in Calvinism. Can you tell me how you know at the time God chose you specifically to be saved and others not to be saved? Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, we were looking at Ephesians today, Brad. Ephesians chapter 3 is probably one of the biggest treatises on predestination that there is, and people don't even seem to recognize that. You talk about Calvinism. I mean, you know, Calvinists, many times, uh, they'll have their books and their terminology. They have a whole category of terms that they use that are not in the Bible to talk about uh, their belief system, 
And then at the end of the day, really, you can just go back. You can go back to the Scripture itself and say, Lord, teach me what predestination is. And every single time, if you go back to Ephesians and you go back to Romans, you're going to find that every single time that Paul talks about predestination, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Uh, That is not a coincidence. He's not talking about individuals. He's talking about groups. He's not talking about you singular. He's talking about y'all, plural. And he's talking about groups of people. And so again and again, you know, whether it's on the radio program or through our Sunday messages, we're going to go back to the Scriptures and say, all right, if we're going to truly study predestination, Let's not study it through a 600-page book that someone wrote, but let's study it through Romans and study it through Ephesians and come to our own conclusion. And I believe that when we give it an honest look, that Ephesians is telling you that we were predestined. Paul uses the word we, and then he says, you also, you also, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So notice he has a we, and then he has a you also. Now, we cannot teach the we without teaching the you also. And when we put those together, the true meaning of predestination is disclosed. It is revealed. The mystery is unraveled. It becomes obvious. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, namely, that the Gentiles were given this gospel. And that's what the mystery is. He says, specifically speaking, the Gentiles were given this gospel that Paul proclaimed. That's the mystery that was kept hidden and is now revealed. That's the predestined mystery, the plan, the purpose of God that was kept hidden in the Old Testament and later was revealed through Christ and specifically through the ministry of Paul. So what I'm saying is predestination is in the Bible, but it doesn't mean what we think it means. Predestination is definitely in the Bible, but it's not about individuals. It is about God's predestined plan to unleash the gospel on the Gentiles, not just the Jews. And that's why Paul says, we who were the first to hope in Christ, and then he says, you also. So when he says, we and you also, he's talking about we Jews and you also, you Gentiles. So he's saying we were the first to hope in Christ, and then he's saying you were the second to hope in Christ. We Jews got the gospel first, and you Gentiles got the gospel second. And now he's bringing the two into one new man, tearing down the dividing wall, and I will call a people who are not my people, my people. If you've ever wondered in Romans why Paul is quoting Hosea, that is exactly why. Because the true meaning of predestination is that God will call a people who are not his people, his people. So if you rewind to the Old Testament, the Gentiles were not God's people. But now they are. Now they can be. Now the gospel has been extended to them. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. God wants none to perish, but all to believe. He wants everyone to come to repentance. 
this is what the New Testament teaches about God's heart toward humanity. Jesus didn't die for some people. Limited atonement is a lie. What Jesus did is not limited, and what Jesus did is more than atonement. The Old Testament had a day of atonement. What Jesus did is greater than atonement. In the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats atoned for sins. Under the New Testament, Jesus took away your sins. The takeaway is greater than the covering. The takeaway is greater than the atonement. And there's nothing limited about it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Paul tells the Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So the true message of predestination is not about God going down the city street saying, I'll take you, but not you, and I'll take you, but not you. It is not about individual selection. The true meaning of predestination is that God had a secret plan. You could even rummage through the Old Testament and find it. You want to know where to find it? Well, you can find it in Hosea. I'll call a people who are not my people, my people. You can find it when God talks to Abraham in Genesis. He says, you will be the father of many nations. Many nations, how could that be? Just Israel, right? No, no, not just Israel. Many nations. That was the promise. That was the plan. That was the mystery. That was the secret. It's now revealed. And the Apostle Paul was put in charge of this mystery. He was given a stewardship of the mystery of the gospel. And Ephesians 3 tells us this. It is showcasing the true meaning of predestination. It is not about you and you and you. It's about y'all. It's about all y'all. It's a you plural, and it's written to the Romans, and it's written to the Ephesians, and it's about how all y'all have been included in the gospel when Jesus Christ died and rose again. The floodgates were flown wide open, and now whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, anyone and everyone who believes, receives everlasting life. For God so loved the world, not some people, but the world. So there is no limited, there is no atonement. It's greater than limited. It's greater than atonement. It is an unlimited extension of God's grace to any human that will call upon his name. And you're right. I mean, you know, you're never going to find security in the idea that you were chosen individually. How do you know you were chosen? Is it a nice feeling? How do you know you have the spirit? Uh, You know, is that a feeling? You could play this game all day long, but your real confidence comes not from a feeling of being chosen and not from a feeling of having the spirit. Uh, Your real confidence comes in this. Jesus Christ died. He made an offer. The offer was to the whole planet. And you were a person who said, I want you. I open the door of my heart to you. And his promise was not a feeling. It was a fact. His promise was, I stand at the door. Whoever opens the door, I will come in and live with him and he with me. Was it the pre-picked people? No. He says, whoever 
Whoever opens the door. Did you open the door? Yes, you did. Right there is your confidence. It is the promise of God to respond to whoever opens the door. That's how you know you're saved. That's how you know you're secure. It's not about a feeling of being chosen. It's not about a feeling of the Holy Spirit. It's a knowing. It's a knowing of God's promise that he uh, made an oath. He made a pact. He made an agreement to respond to anyone and everyone who believes. So, Brad, thanks for your call, your comment, your encouragement. We love hearing from you. And uh, reach out to us again anytime. Enjoy that Super Bowl today with family and uh, reach out to us again. All right, we're, well, we got three open lines. Room for you, 877-956-9566. We got room for you right now. Jump in with your question, your comment, whatever it may be. We're going to go to Colorado now. We're going to talk about uh, demon babies and aliens and Nephilim and all that good stuff with Chad. Hey, Chad, what do you got? Hey there. Hey. Uh, Well, I don't hear a lot of talk about this, and I was hoping you could shed some light on it, on the, the that come to Earth and see the, see the, uh, women of earth and and want to make children with them and then and then where that ends up down the line is there a genetic line you know nothing ever ever refers back to what happens okay yeah and nobody nobody ever kind of talks about that well you're right and i guess that's because paul didn't talk about it neither did james or john or peter or the author of hebrews or jesus So nobody had anything to say about this, and you'd think, I mean, come on, guys. Come on, apostles. Come on, Lord. I mean, if there's demon babies, we want to know about them. If angels are having relations with people, we want to know about it. If uh, there's a secret society of half-angel, half-humans running around, uh, give us the skinny on that, Lord. Somebody's got to mention it, right? Well, there's a reason they don't mention it, and that's because all of that stuff is nonsense. Uh, There are no half-angel, half-humans running around. First of all, angels don't have sexual organs. Angels, Jesus said, are not married. They're not given in marriage. They don't procreate. They don't have sexual organs. They have no need for them. And uh, they don't have relations with men or, or women. Uh, So what's really happening in Genesis 6 is so simple, and it's going to make you chuckle when it's all over with, because basically you got a verb, a verb about going down. It says, you know, the sons of God went down and had relations with the daughters of men. And all that means is that they were on a hillside, Or they were up in the mountains, and they looked down in the valley, and they said, wow, there's some attractive women. Let's go down into the valley and meet these women and take them as our wives, and let's procreate and have kids with them. And there you have it. They went down, saw the daughters of women, went down, and had relations with them. Genesis chapter 6 is not creating a theology of demon babies. It's not creating angelic offspring. Uh, It's not any of those things. The simplest, most straightforward, most logical interpretation is that these men were looking down in a valley of beautiful women and decided to walk down and 
shake hands and meet people and uh, eventually get married and procreate and all of that business. So uh, that's all there is to it. Uh, You know, I'm sure there were some people that were extra big. You know, you had Goliath-type giants who would really just be kind of average for us today. Maybe they'd be in the NBA. I don't know, but... uh, you know, there's no there's no 10 foot and 20 foot giants. There's nothing colossal out there that's half half uh, demon, half human, and there are no angel babies. Uh, just the most straightforward interpretation is these men were on a hillside and saw beautiful women in the valley. So I hope that helps, Chad. Uh, reach out to us again anytime. Uh, great to hear from you. All right, well, let's go now to Mississippi, and we'll talk with uh, Cullen. Hey, Cullen, what have you got for us today? Hey, uh, my question is is uh, about it's First John 2.19, uh-huh. when Jesus is saying, those who went out from us were not of us. And people used that, I have as well, used it as uh-huh. uh, saying the Christians who fall away weren't really Christians, and people used it as an old, like a, I support to say you can't lose the Holy Spirit, but my question is: is mm-hmm. uh, like it's like saying Christians can't fall away if they're true Christians. My question right. is: is uh, how can I use that? Because they, at the time, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in the way that we do after Christ's death. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, these people did. I mean, this is after Christ's death. This is not Jesus speaking specifically. This is the Apostle John, and this is not his gospel. We're not in John chapter 2. We're in 1 John chapter 2. So this is John's letter. It's written well after the death of Christ. It's written after the resurrection of Christ. It's written after Pentecost. It's written to a church who has the Holy Spirit. So you can perfectly use this. I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, using this, just like you would any other epistle. Uh, But when it says they went out from among us because they were never really part of us, absolutely. You've got it right. I mean, he's saying that there's lots of people that play church, and then maybe they get tired of church. They get tired of church people. They get tired of a self-improvement program. They get hurt by church people. or or they never really believed in the gospel, and they were just playing church for whatever reason, and they go out. Well, just because they uh, leave a congregation doesn't mean they were genuinely saved. Uh, You can sit in a church pew and not be born again. You can sit through a church service a thousand times and not be born of God. You're not saved because of your attendance You're saved when you open your heart to Christ and receive him. So uh, you're perfectly within your own sanity there using this passage to talk about salvation. John is saying there's a group of people that hung out with us and they went out from among us and they were never really part of us. So lots of people are playing church But if you're in Christ, you really are safe. You're safe forever. I mean, as you survey the New Testament, 
It says, I mean, God tells us, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Even when you're faithless, I remain faithful. Nothing separates you from the love of Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. So uh, we have this undying love for Christ. If we're really saved, Ephesians 6.24 says we have an undying love for Jesus. So we'll never stop loving him. We are believers by nature. Our old self died. We are believers now forever. We will love God forever because he poured out his love in our hearts. So once you're in Christ, you'll never be in Adam again. Once you're in the Spirit, you'll never be yanked out. Uh, Jesus tells us, I'll never leave you. And that is plain and straightforward and powerful and obvious and amazing. So, Colin, I hope that encourages you today and clarifies about First John. Reach out to us again anytime. Let's go now uh, to North Carolina, and we'll talk with David. Hey, David, what do you got? Um, thank you for taking my call, and yeah. uh, uh, I'm a second-time caller, and my wife called as well, too, and you sent yeah. her the book, The Hurt and the Healer, and just thank you for all you do and building up the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, my question is, is I was wondering if you could expound on Philippians four eleven thirteen about the secret that Paul talked about um, when yeah. seemingly our circumstances don't change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, if you could talk about that piece. Sure, yes, absolutely. Well, it certainly goes against the prosperity gospel, this passage. It goes against the name it, claim it idea. It goes against that gab it and grab it type philosophy where if you just have enough faith, you'll move mountains. If you just have enough faith, you wouldn't be sick. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be in trouble. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be dealing with this. You know, people like Job's friends who come along and say, this is your fault because you're not believing hard enough. Well, that's what that prosperity gospel really promotes. And what we're seeing here in Philippians 4 is the opposite of that. Uh, Let me read the passage. He says, not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, you know, normally that last verse, you might hear it at a graduation, and students are applauding and parents are excited. I can do all things through Christ. So, you know, Billy's going to be an astronaut, and Lisa's going to be president, and -and so-and-so's going to be a millionaire. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ. And that's how we interpret it. We sort of mesh it with the American dream, and we imagine that Paul is saying that if you're a Christian, you can do anything. If you're a Christian, you can be a rocket scientist with NASA. If you're a Christian, then you can do anything through Christ. But really, really, in context, 
what Paul is saying is you can go through anything. You can suffer anything. You can deal with anything. It's about circumstances, circumstances involving hunger and poverty, circumstances involving being filled and uh, having abundance. What he's saying is don't be a sucker for the false gospel. I mean, the false gospel, one of them, one of them is the prosperity gospel. And it says you need more. You need more money, more this, more that, better circumstances. You need more. Then the social gospel comes along and says, you need less. I mean, you need to sacrifice. You need to give everything up. You need to be poor. You need to be impoverished. You need to take a vow of poverty. You need to give everything up in radical sacrifice, and then you'll be more spiritual. So see, the prosperity gospel says you need more. The social gospel says you need less. And the true gospel says you need Jesus. Whether you have more or less, Jesus is the secret of contentment in all circumstances. Now that doesn't mean you're always going to feel good. But what that means is you do have someone that will never be revoked, someone that will never be taken, you have something unshakable and unbreakable. And that's why we have to get this gospel right. And that's why we exist here at the Grace Message, quite candidly, because we have to get this gospel right when it comes to Jesus and the cross and the resurrection because planet earth is coming at us it's ugly it's awful it's stressful sometimes we don't see the end in sight and the only comfort we may have is Jesus himself and who he is and what he's done for us but if we get that wrong then the rug is pulled out I mean if we get that wrong we can't even rely on truth if we don't know truth so, when things are really ugly, when they're really bad, what God is trying to tell us is, I'm with you, and I'm for you, and I'm in you, and get this, this is not me. I'm not doing this to you. This is not me making you lose your job. This is not me causing you difficulty. This is not me hurling disaster at you. Planet Earth comes at you, but I'm working in you. Now, I know the lies you've heard. You heard God is breaking you. Well, God might say, no, I'm not breaking you. I'm not tearing you down. I'm building you up in Christ. You've heard God is crushing you into a fine powder to teach you a lesson. No, God is causing you to be rooted and grounded in his goodness. That's the truth that'll set you free. For more information on the broadcast ministry of Dr. Andrew Farley, please visit andrewfarley.org. That's andrewfarley.org. Join us next time as we invite you to celebrate the grace message with Dr. Andrew Farley. This program is sponsored by your generous financial support.